And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll take a look at who should be the top relievers in 2021 and whether we should worry about poor defensive teams. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for October 2nd. I'm Al Melchior, and I am here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. Um, seems like a, an apropos time to talk a lot about relievers. Uh, we have some not-so-welcome reliever news to talk about on this show. And I also thought it'd be a good time maybe to talk about something we don't talk about much in fantasy. Um, and maybe we can talk about whether we should talk about it more. And that is team defense. Because um, I noticed a couple of interesting trends in the uh, the year-end data. But uh, before we get to any of that, uh, just a couple of news notes here um, that I think are, are worth sharing. Um, Justin Verlander and Ken Giles have both had their Tommy John surgeries as expected. And uh, in the uh, Thursday wildcard game between the White Sox and uh, the Oakland Athletics, uh, Eloy Jimenez exited early with right foot discomfort. So uh, I don't think that that's going to be anything that's going to have some fantasy relevance. But White Sox had another injury, uh, and this involves a player, DVR, that I wanted to talk about anyway. And unfortunately, now we have to include in this discussion some some less than welcome news. Uh, Garrett Crochet, who came up late in the year as a part of the White Sox bullpen, he left that wild card game uh, after striking out a couple of batters, and that was it. He came in in the first inning to relieve Dane Dunning. And left, uh, his velocity was notably down from its usual triple digits into the uh, 96-97 area. And uh, he has a tight left forearm. So uh, we'll have to obviously wait for whatever results of of tests that will be done there. But um, if we just assume the best for Garrett Crochet going into 2021, given that Alex Colomay is going to be a free agent, uh, given that uh, Crochet was superb, uh, in his limited uh, pitching in 2020. Is he somebody that people should be looking at as a number one reliever? Maybe. I mean, I think the question is, will the White Sox, assuming Garrett Crochet is healthy, try and develop him as a starter? Will they try to stretch him out and, and see if he can find a third pitch? I, it's not totally unlike the Chris Sale situation, just in terms of how quickly Garrett Crochet made it to the big leagues, but... I think there's still a chance they're going to develop him as a guy that pitches every fifth day. And if that's the plan, I wonder how long it would take before we would see him in 2021. So we don't think it's just a given that uh, in whatever role they're going to uh, use him in that uh, he's necessarily there on opening day. Yeah, I don't think it's a lock if he's trying to start because they may want to see him in the upper levels of the minor leagues briefly before bringing him up. But 
I love the talent. I really hope this forearm injury is nothing serious. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You, you know, it's one of those injuries that you, you least want to see, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that uh, hopefully it's nothing that's going to uh, impact him. Uh, hopefully not this postseason and certainly not for uh, for next season. Um, now, we are going on very limited data for Crochet in the major leagues through just um, six innings this year, 85 pitches, but did have a, a good but, you know, not otherworldly whiff rate of 16.5%. But he really was good at avoiding contact in the zone, which is a, a stat that I bring up a lot on this show. I think it's an important one. 65.4% zone contact rate. And the only qualified relievers who were better than that were Devin Williams, who unfortunately is also hurt now, and Edwin Diaz. So um, I'm going to use this as a jumping point to talk about Diaz because maybe I'm just projecting my own feelings about him onto others. But I feel like there's a chance that Diaz gets underdrafted because I think maybe the weight of his 2019 season will, um, you know, be more in the minds of a lot of fantasy owners uh, than his 2020. And you know, I mean, he had the low ERA, um, you know, a lot of strikeouts. But I, I just think that Diaz maybe still has this reputation of, of being volatile. And yet, you look at those peripherals, and it looks like he, he's an elite reliever once again. Yeah, it's really hard to figure him out. Uh, I think the early draft I'm in with Todd Zola, we've seen Edwin Diaz drafted there. He went in the eighth round, second pick of round eight in a 15-teamer, so that means pick 107 overall, if I'm doing the math correctly, on the fly. Is that as much of a discount as you could hope for? Do you actually think you could go a lot cheaper than that? Because I think that's pretty close to where he ended up at the higher end of drafts in 2020 and as you said skills growth actually took place he got the home run rate back down to a more normal sort of level plenty of swinging strikes backing up the best strikeout rate we've seen from him other than a career high walk rate things were generally very good for edwin diaz in 2020 yeah, um, well, you know, to get back to comparing uh, a potential 2021 ADP versus, um, or 20, yeah, 2021 versus 2020, uh, this past year in NFBC leagues, he was 10th uh, on average among relievers in ADP. And, I, you know, I mean, this will all shake out. I haven't done, you know, all my research. I mean, hey, you know, season just ended. <laughs> but, uh, you know, on the face of it, it seems like he should be back as a top five reliever. And I guess, you know, what we could and, and should do at this point is, you know, map out who belongs in that top five. Uh, Liam Hendricks being the top reliever two years in a row. Uh, you know, I think you got to reserve a place for him. Do you think uh, Hendricks should be number one overall? Yeah, he's definitely got a case. He's at least in the top three if he's not first on that list. Josh Hader probably in that top five pretty safely, even though you know Devin Williams maybe is a little bit of a threat to save opportunities depending on how they use him. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because I'm looking through the other relievers that were taken, and I think those were the only two who actually went before that eighth-round selection of Diaz. So... If this draft is any indication, and a lot of times it's a good early indicator of what ADPs are going to look like, oh, Aroldis Chapman went before him too, it looks like Edwin Diaz has a path to be considered a top five reliever by the market again in 2021. Yeah, and that's the thing I think more in terms of um, you know rank in ADP versus the actual draft position, but yeah, you know you mentioned eighth round. That seems about right to me, um, You know, given that the first reliever 
you know, usually goes maybe fourth, fifth, maybe in some league sixth round. So that 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 seems just about right. And uh, yeah, after we get past Hendricks and Hader, uh, you know, who else needs to be there? I mean, Kirby Yates, if he, he was healthy, I think you'd put him there. But um, I think we can't really know what to expect from him next year. Uh, I would expect he'll be outside the top five. Does that does that jive with your, your expectations? Yeah, I don't think he's up there for me uh, at this point. I mean, I think the... The hardest thing about this, we lost a few pitchers from this group. Ken Giles, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, he had Tommy John surgery. He would have been at least a consideration this time a year ago. Uh, I think teams are getting a little more creative with their bullpen usage. We're seeing it in the postseason, but we saw it throughout the entire shortened season as well. That wreaks havoc on the rankings. Brad Hand has taken a step back. He was a guy that was previously up there. Roberto, Roberto Ozuna has been hurt. He was previously in in the conversation for uh, top five reliever status. So you start chipping away names from that list and say, well, who replaces those guys? Is Kenley Jansen still in that class? Like, I don't think he fits there. Uh, I'm looking at maybe Nick Anderson from a skills perspective and saying he belongs there based on skills, but how much do we think he's going to share save opportunities in Tampa Bay just based on the way they handled things this season? Yeah, and I, I think that this growing uncertainty, the growing um, fluidity in roles, I think that just makes an even stronger case for somebody like Crochet or Devin Williams, um, particularly Crochet, because I mean I think he just, if healthy, would have a much better chance sliding into that closer role. You know, as you pointed out, if he's not slated to be or stretched out to be a starter, um, but if, you know, he or Williams, I think even you know in a non-closing role would. Um, you know, merit some consideration is like a, a top 12 relief eligible pitcher, you know, just because who else do you put in there uh, at this point? So, yeah, almost by default, I think Diaz could be uh, not only the top five, but maybe maybe the top three going into next year. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So DVR, these last few days um, after the end of the regular season, I've been you know looking at leaderboards. We've already spent a couple of episodes this week looking at some players on the uh, StatCast leaderboard and finding some unexpected statistical nuggets there. And uh, I don't even remember how I wound up here. Uh, just one of these rabbit holes that I burrowed into. Uh, but I wound up looking at pitcher BABIP. And actually I got there by looking at the Mets. Um, cause I noticed that, uh, some of their pitchers had, had high BABIPs. Um, and noticed that the Phillies, well, the Phillies, Red Sox and Nationals 
as a staff, they had the highest pitcher babups in the major leagues this year. And the Phillies far and away the highest, 343, which even for a, a truncated sample of around two months is exceedingly high. Now, the Red Sox are always on the top of that leaderboard because of, of Fenway Park. Uh, it's just a good balls and play uh, park for hitters. But Phillies and Nationals, that really stood out. And so I flipped over to the defensive leaderboard. And lo and behold, Phillies and Nationals were the two worst teams defensively in the major leagues in 2020 in terms of UZR. So I ask you, does this seem like just a coincidence? No, I don't think it is. I think you brought up a question at the very beginning of the show that's kind of been bouncing around in my head from time to time for a while now. Are we accounting for fantasy or defense enough in fantasy baseball? Like that's a... That's the question. Are we accounting enough for defense in fantasy baseball? Because a lot of the metrics, the advanced stats we use for pitchers, are skill-based indicators, and they take that out, which is helpful in evaluating pitcher skills, but not necessarily in projecting pitcher performance. Like It's great to say, hey, what would this guy be like with defense not being a factor? That's helpful in some ways. It's not necessarily the smartest thing to do when you're trying to look ahead and see what's likely to happen with a very good or very bad or very average defense behind that pitcher. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I dug a little deeper and looking at individual pitchers and, you know, while there's a a logic to seeing the correlation between those two things, at least for those two teams, when you break it down, it gets a little, it gets a little fuzzier, whether there's something there. I mean, if we look at the nationals, um, Max Scherzer had a sky high Babbitt this year. So did Patrick Corbin. They also had other reasons for being less good this year, less effective than they normally were. They both, first of all, gave up a lot of line drives, which isn't necessarily that's going to that's something that's going to carry over to 2021. Uh, Corbin lost velocity. He lost whiffs um, by a very large margin. Um Scherzer, uh, actually, I have to look at this. I'm not sure. I'm thinking top of mind. Maybe he gave up more hard contact, but I'm actually not sure about that. But I know there were there were things in each of their profiles that would also explain uh, them being less effective. But it's all. I mean, they they certainly must be missing Anthony Rendon, um, who you know by all accounts and by the metrics is a, a fantastic third baseman. And I wish I had done this deep dive before we had Britt Giroli on earlier this week because Victor Robles plummeted in terms of his defensive metrics at a critical defensive position. So, you know, maybe that means if they do wind up, maybe that's the situation we have to watch. How they fill third base, how they, they fill center field next year, and whether or not that bodes well for Scherzer and Corbin. Yeah, I think it is really important. And, you know, I'm thinking about the Phillies a little bit too. That wasn't a team that I thought would be good defensively. They were infielders. They've shuffled a couple of guys around, basically trying to find a place for Scott Kingery. So you've got Segura at third. You've got Andrew McCutcheon losing range in the outfield and a few other players on that team that are below average defenders at this stage of their respective careers. So it's not a shocking list, at least at the very bottom but the Victor Robles nugget, I still can't believe he gained 20 pounds. Like That's very surprising. It just seems like it goes completely against the type of player he was projected to be. Like speed, defense, and a good hit tool with some power. You, know, you, you take away the speed and the defense, suddenly you have a guy who's a very, very risky sort of profile. 
Yeah, uh, you know, and it's something that winds up being critical for fantasy other than just the offensive impact that we discussed with Britt uh, on that recent show. So, you know, those are all storylines I think we need to follow, maybe for reasons we didn't expect to. And, you know, bring up the Phillies. And again, that's really the interesting one because, I mean, they were just so much worse in terms of balls on play than any other, other staff. I think maybe Vince Velasquez gets a little overlooked going into next year. Um, a lot more strikeouts for him this year. The ERA certainly doesn't reflect reflect the improvement, uh, but maybe a little added sleep, sleeper value there for him. I think I just want to see him in the bullpen and see what happens from there, though. I think I'm kind of done with him as a starter. Well, and we'll see if the Phillies are too, uh, you know, so <laughs> maybe that performance, whether entirely his fault or not, impacts his uh, his future in real baseball looking forward. So that's going to be it for this episode and this week of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review, we always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Monday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.